Hi, welcome to Night Clark Radio, episode 34, where we are continuing our dive into lo-fi. This, of course, started with our lo-fi Patreon bonus episode, which you should definitely check out. And then our most recent episode prior to this one, we dug into two really awesome lo-fi albums. Those were a lot of fun. But now we want to get back into some of the influences. So we have brought in our friend and renowned anime expert, Noah, from Hi. Thinking Too Hard About Anime. Hi. Mm-hmm. Hi. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I think at the end of the last episode, you and I were just talking while you were streaming, because you stream. So yes. definitely check those shout outs at the end. And you were just rattling off all this tsunami shit off the top of your head. <laughs> and I was like, man, that's that's way easier than me researching it. So I'm coming in hot. I've done no reading. I've done no research into this topic. I don't know about Ross. I did a little for the lo-fi episode, and I actually did watch Toonami back in the day, but I did not reread the stuff that I read for the lo-fi mm. episode, so I'm between Burke and Noah on this continuum. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, much like when Bridget was here for video games, yeah, I just handed <laughs> her show notes and I said, you know a lot about this? I did the same thing for Noah. So Noah, what are we talking about today? So we're talking about Toonami, which mm-hmm. was a... Afternoon action cartoon block on Cartoon Network in the late 90s through the 2000s. And I guess let me, let me give you a little bit of a little bit of history. Sure. Tsunami. And that really it all starts in 1994 with Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Mm. <laughs> As all good things should. <laughs> so in 94, uh, Mike Laszlo, the VP of programming at Cartoon Network, was they were looking for something for like late night programming, something a little bit more mature, mature air quotes. And they're like, basically, we've got all this old Hanna-Barbera cartoon footage. What if we just chop up a bunch of it and turn it into a late night talk show and interview <laughs> people? And and yeah, so they start with that. And in doing so, they create Ghost Planet Industries, which is sort of like a, a subdivision of Cartoon Network. And from there, they grow and they work on more programming and they eventually become William Street, which if you are familiar with Adult Swim, especially William Street is basically the brand or like the sub company, the subsidiary that creates Tsunami and eventually creates Adult Swim. In 97, Sean Akins and Jason DeMarco, who both work for, I think they actually work for like TNT, TVS, the Turner Broadcasting like family of networks. Mm -hmm. And they Basically, come together. It's like, hey, remember when, like, when you got out of school and there's always like something on, like, right after school that you wanted to go and and watch. Let's try and do something like that. So they they come together and they create Toonami, which, like I said, is a an action focused block of cartoon programming. So it's like Thundercats, The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, which is like a Johnny Quest reboot that incorporated CG animation because that was like the hotness at the time. And they eventually get stuff like Robotech and Dragon Ball Z. And they would they would create this programming block in 1997. And the original host of Toonami of the time was Multar from Space Ghost Ghost to Coast. They had a, a CG version of Multar at his like control station, like you see whenever they cut away to him in, in Space Ghost Ghost to Coast. That's voiced by the same C. Martin Croker, who passed away in 2016. But he was the original host of Toonami. In 1999, they updated the show's aesthetic. They expanded it a little bit. 
and they created Tom, who is the Toonami operations module. Mm. Stubby little <laughs> robot man voiced by Sonny Strait, who the animation fans out there might recognize as the voice of Krillin or Mace Hughes in Full Metal Alchemist. Okay. So that's that's sort of what, when a lot of people think of Toonami, that's what they think of. They think of this stubby little robot man on board the spaceship beaming out anime to the impressionable youth <laughs> of America. <laughs> like myself. Yep. Yes, <laughs> especially like <laughs> myself. I think Toonami has, takes a very large brunt of the way that I am, I think. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, it's funny because on the Lo-Fi episode, I kind of lied and was like, oh, I don't really know much about Toonami, but I probably watched Dragon Ball Z at the very mm-hmm. least on Toonami. Yeah. I remember nothing of its aesthetic. It's terrible. I do. I, I, I do quite a bit, but please continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it has... It had a little bit of sort of this aesthetic with the original run with Moltar, where when it comes to like the music and stuff like that, it's it's a real kind of interesting mix of stuff because you get a little bit of like drum and bass, you get like breakbeat, some industrial dance, and along with like that sort of lo-fi hip hop all kind of mixed together that they would play for like. The intros and outros to shows, so they would have like little promos and stuff like that that would explain like what's the show about, and then it would go into the show. They would even do like weirdly like little philosophical speeches mm-hmm. about stuff. Um, okay, yeah, there's one in particular I remember and that I love, uh, "Broken Promises." So yes, we, we, so we, that's we, definitely we, one of the the, yeah. the big ones. Um, they have a, a like a series of music videos that that that's mm-hmm. kind of a part of. I guess, well, I guess we will get into, but a lot of times those music videos have sort of like the lower tempo kind of stuff. And it's, it's sort of like an early version of an AMV, an anime music video where they will cut footage and, and dialogue from the shows that they're broadcasting into the song and, and create this really sort of atmospheric, like I said, weirdly kind of like philosophical or, or touching (laughs) video. There's there's even some where it's just like Moltar or Tom, depending on what time, uh, what time period you're you're watching the show, just talking about like teamwork or friends. Or there's one kind of famous one where Moltar is talking about reruns. It's like, hey, yeah, we know we're playing like the same like dozen episodes of Dragon Ball Z over and over again. We only have like so much programming to go around. And like the dubbing <laughs> companies can only get out so much at this time. So like we understand your frustrations. We are going to get more of it, but you just have to sit through some reruns every now and then. Uh, <laughs> when they first introduced Tom, it's this very sort of atmospheric intro song called Prayer, which has a sort of uh, an ambient sound that kind of builds into this kind of exciting. It builds into like this kind of exciting beat that kind of gets you pumped, gets you ready for the program that you're about to watch.
after they introduce Tom, he spends, I think, about a year hosting the show before they do what's called a, a tie-in event, where mm-hmm. the show surrounding all the other shows has, like, its own, like, little mini-narrative for, like, a couple weeks. And then uh, the original Tom gets destroyed and is replaced with Tom 2, who is voiced by Steve <laughs> Bloom, who you might know from Critters 5, Critters Attack. as the That's voice totally the what everyone out there is going to know him <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Critters yeah. Attack. Mm-hmm. Maybe something else. You yeah. might also know him from this little show called Cowboy Bebop, where he plays oh. Spike Spiegel. <laughs> I've heard of that one. Yeah. Right. See, I thought maybe they got rid of Tom because they just did like the Netflix algo shit, where they're like, "Oh, Tom's salary is too much after a year. Yeah, mm-hmm. kill him and put in Tom too." Yeah, they they go through updates to Tom like every few years. Um, mm. I know up until the initial cancellation of Toonami in 2008, they actually get to Tom 4. And like almost every time that they upgrade to Tom, they have a, a tie-in event kind of thing where it's like, here's what happened that made Tom suddenly change his look to this or this or this. Mm-hmm. So during all this time, in 2001, William Street creates Adult Swim, which is sort of born out of Toonami's Midnight Run programming block where they would play um, unedited or, like, less edited anime series. So, like, you get to see a little bit of the blood. They would actually curse. Or <laughs> they would even say things like <laughs> kill instead of destroy, which was a weird sort of, like... Hmm. Yeah, that's one of those weird things. Like, it's play, you're playing cartoons for kids or, like, teenagers in, like, the early afternoon. They want to try and stamp down that stuff, especially in, like, the early 2000s. But, yeah, so so Midnight Run kind of turns into Adult Swim and becomes like this full programming block that eventually becomes its own network, technically. According to the Nielsen ratings, Adult Swim and Cartoon Network are separate channels <laughs> just because of their target demographics are so different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Adult Swim comes along. It sort of also kind of picks up, I think, a lot more of that sort of lo-fi sound that you all talked about on the the, mm-hmm. um, the Patreon episode. Because they have stuff with, like, Flying Lotus, Jay Dilla, a, a bunch of, like, that sort of sound to their intro and outro bumps, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, in 2008, Toonami is finally canceled. There was a separate programming block that kind of took Toonami's place for a little while. Um, and then that eventually went away. And then in 2012, they brought Toonami back as an April Fool's. So for the previous, like, three years on Adult Swim, for April Fool's, they would play The Room. <laughs> Unedited? Uh, I don't I don't know. Hmm. Um, in 2012, they start playing The Room on April 1st, and, like, right as they get out of, like, the opening credits, it cuts to a HD version of Tom 3, <laughs> and it gives, like, a little April Fool's message, and then just, they just play anime for, like, the rest of the night. <laughs> And then in May of that year, they bring Toonami back as sort of the Saturday night action cartoon block of programming. So all the anime, all that Mm -hmm. stuff goes into this action cartoon block. And then like the rest of the adults when programming is the typical kind of surreal Mm -hmm. humor and and live action Mm -hmm. stuff that they do. It's at this point that William Street Records actually exists and they start bringing in outside artists instead of using in-house ones for the music. William Street Records is also part of the reason we have Run the Jewels. Really? Yeah. So Jason DeMarco, who was there at the beginning of Toonami, he works as, like I believe, the VP of programming for Adult Swim now. He also ran a lot of the music for Adult Swim. And 
being Atlanta-based, he knew Killer Mike um, and helped him actually produce one of his last solo albums. And then he also knew LP for using some of his music for Adult Swim Bumps. And then he's like, uh, Killer Mike's looking for a producer. He's looking for somebody to make beats for him. Jason DeMarco's like, hey, I know this guy. They bring him together. They work <laughs> on an album. And then they like working with each other so much that they form Run the Jewels and go from there. Oh, that's beautiful. I love Run the Jewels. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So without like Toonami and Cartoon Network, we wouldn't have Run the Jewels. And we also wouldn't have a lot of this really good, interesting music that I think a lot of people growing up during that time probably have a, a sense of nostalgia for. I know going through and like researching a bunch of this music, mm-hmm. it was hard to try and narrow down a lot of it just because like I was like, oh, I remember this song. I love this song. <laughs> it, it, it's all so good and all very atmospheric and it. It either gets you like really pumped up for the show that you're about to watch, or just it's very mellow. Mm-hmm. Just not something nice to kind of listen to. Yeah, I think as a lot of that mellow music is sort of in the DNA of like lo-fi hip hop. I think that's one of the reasons why lo-fi yeah. has become so popular is because like the tsunami music. I think was very influenced by like '90s and early 2000s trip hop. Uh, so mm-hmm. you know DJ Shadow and DJ Crush, Portishead, yeah. and all that. So, yeah, it's just, again, music is a conversation. And so we go yeah. from DJ Shadow to uh, the lo- Toonami to Lo-Fi Hip Hop Girl. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think you mentioned Danger Mouse in the Lo-Fi episode. We mentioned Danger Mouse, I know, in the Plunder Phonics episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just to say that Danger Mouse actually had uh, or apparently had. I've, I've tried to, like, get double confirmation on this, but he apparently had music in Toonami during mm-hmm. like its original runs. So the song Hammer. for uh, a couple Dragon Ball Z intros and for also um, little character bio like promos for the show had the song it's by Pelican City which whenever I would look up Pelican City it would give me Danger Mouse who Danger Mouse would also go on to work with like Adult Swim Mm -hmm. Danger Mouse and MF Doom would work together as Danger Doom to create an album for Adult Swim based off of Adult Swim shows (laughs) so a lot of the music the original music created for Toonami was created by two people, Joe Boyd Vigil and Tommy Guerrero. Why do I know Tom? Maybe it is this, but I feel like I know Tommy Guerrero from something else. He is a skater and he does do other music. Oh, he was in skate. That's it. Yep. 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 Okay. That's it. <laughs> That's right. You, you're, you're a big skate guy. So, yes. Mm-hmm. I fucking love skate. Yeah. <laughs> So here's some tracks in there. The track Strings for mm-hmm. the music video Space is the Place is mm-hmm. one of his. 
and then he's also had a couple other songs like Alien. Yeah, there's a ton of music here that you've you've compiled. So even if it doesn't all end up samples, I'm mm-hmm. gonna put all this in a big list in the show notes. So everybody should definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. I created a separate doc to try and like whittle down some of the music <laughs> I want. I wanted to share. Um, just listen to all of it. All right, just yeah, just, just all of it. There's <laughs> there there are um, a lot of people on like YouTube and and fans of Toonami who have like tried to track down all of this music. There's even people out there that are basically recreating the bumps and intros and promos and stuff like that with HD footage of the shows. So they will take the original like CG, <laughs> like Toonami footage with the, like the clips that they would play and they'll just sub in those clips with the latest like Blu-ray or, or HD versions that they can get. And then they'll even do stuff with like, you know, upscaling and like AI mm-hmm. upresing and, and programs like that to kind of upres those CG assets that look, you know, especially since a lot of them are recorded on like VHS tapes and stuff like that. They're really fuzzy and, and grainy and stuff yeah. like that. As an aside, I ran across that recently, like the idea of fans like, oh, well, this was only re- like this movie's only released on DVD. Uh, let's just upscale it so we can have the equivalent <laughs> of a Blu-ray of it. And mm-hmm. yeah, I like that approach to sort of like these abandoned works that are never, you know, like I want to see it, but in HD again. So, yeah. Yeah, I think some of the folks working on that kind of stuff are even working on like re-rendering, like remaking from the ground up some of those CG assets, like Mm -hmm. the big like CG um, texts and stuff like that that appears like right before the show starts and things like that. There's definitely a super passionate fan base out there working on like recreating all of this like really nostalgic like 20 year old footage now. Yeah, there's 20 years, yeah. It's interesting because do you want to go back for a second to Adult Swim? Because that's the one uh-huh. that I'm most familiar with. So mm-hmm. I'll yeah. give you a, <laughs> a break because that was a very n- nice history put together. But Adult Swim is interesting because I've mentioned it before on the podcast because it's also a lot of those shows are also visual lo-fi, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Like Home Movies is not like a pretty show, <laughs> right? Like No, no, it's not. <laughs> Aqua Teen. All that stuff. And like C Lab 2021 was literally visual plunderphonics. I think I said that in the plunderphonics episode because mm-hmm, yeah. if I remember the history of its creation right, they were just like interns and they just jacked all that old C Lab 2020 footage and then just recut it and sold it back to Cartoon Network as C Lab 2021, <laughs> which is, is beautiful. But it's also interesting because it has that kind of that same nostalgia cycle as other stuff where it's old Hanna Barbera stuff, but the people that watch it weren't around for it. Yeah. Right, it's just like yeah. old media, and you just associate it with being old. Yeah, it's like um, Nickelodeon doing that boomerang thing or whatever. It's like, oh, watch all these great old cartoons, but they're like cartoons from the '60s. It's like I don't, I don't even growing mm. up. It's like I, I don't, I don't give a shit about those. Those are awful. Ugh. Well, Boomerang is another Cartoon Network thing. It's another spinoff channel for. Oh, that's they, right. Yeah, when they start phasing out like all the Hanna Barbera and Looney Tunes stuff, they would put it over there. I think even now they are putting stuff from when like we were kids on Boomerang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I think I'm thinking of Nick at Night. Same same premise, but like, so yeah. I was just gonna bring up Nick yeah. at Night because I watched Nick at Night a lot as a kid. I have no idea right. why. I don't give a fuck about <laughs> I Love Lucy or any of that yeah. shit. Yeah, but I would still just watch it like with my mom as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I did watch it sometimes just because I was so curious, like, what the fuck is this stuff? And yeah. so 
I didn't, yeah, really get hooked on it. There's nothing quite waking up at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning to, like, the ending song of, like, the Bob Newhart show. <laughs> <laughs> or, or depending on which channel you have on, either the Bob Newhart show or, like, the ending to, like, Inuyasha. It's very weird. Oh, Inuyasha, no. yeah. Boy, that's a landmine. People have recreated that with HD footage, too. That promo, where it's just the two of them shouting at each other for literally like 30 <laughs> seconds straight. It's great. Yeah, so for me, the main th- the first thing that comes to mind with Tsunami is Broken Promises, which, as you uh-huh. mentioned, is one of the earlier music videos that they had. And uh, just Googling around for it, I found like this love letter to it uh, on blacknerdproblems.com, which I'll put in the show notes. Toonami's Broken Promises Dreams is still a millennial spiritual in the darkest of days. Yeah, you have a right to dream. Uh, believe in yourself. Create your own destiny. Don't fear failure. It was, and that was narrated by uh, the voice actor did Jet from Cowboy Bebop. So yep. uh, it's uh, Bo Billingsley. Yes, and mm-hmm. it's from. I want to say a lot of that dialogue is from Outlaw Star. Which they have this the thing of sampling like really interesting quotes, but like the actual speech, I don't know if that's from anything. Because it's a mixture of sampled stuff and like the the uh, video, like an AMV, it's an anime music video, but like yeah. the original uh, narration. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really is kind of like, for me, mood of Toonami, like this idea of like, yeah, things are tough, but persevere. That's sort of like the very uh, the core of like shonen anime, right? It's like it's hard, but you got to keep fighting. It's OK to be freaked out and despair, but you can't give up. They even did sort of a follow up version to dreams mm-hmm. or broken promise in 2016 where they're like hey you've grown up now and you know life kind of sucks but you gotta <laughs> hold on to those dreams like oh no yeah they have done like kind of follow-ups to that sometimes um mm-hmm. yeah there is actually a a fan wiki with a list of all the uh music videos on it mm-hmm. I don't know if you put in the links for that but um <laughs> i mean i do like that there is a very dedicated fan base willing to recreate all the stuff or, or to preserve it um because it's all interstitial stuff it was never really it was just meant to fill up time that they couldn't sell ads or that they had to yeah. put you know network requirements that you had to like hey this is this channel uh, every so often yeah exactly yeah it was never meant to be preserved or even really noted upon it was just something to fill airtime more than anything else. There's something just kind of special about how they decided to take that time that they had and do something mm-hmm. interesting with it. Like I said, between those music videos or like the little speeches or even just they would do like video game reviews on Toonami <laughs> every now and then. Like they would just use any like spare bits of time that they weren't selling to people for like these weird little these weird little promos that really mm-hmm. made it something different and unique, I think. Yeah. Um and I think that's the thing that sort of links both Toonami and especially Adult Swim, is that it had this feeling of being, I guess it's almost like the real world equivalent of to UHF, the Weird Al movie, where it's just uh-huh. like, we're just mm. some people, we're going to throw together a show and entertain you folks. Very much like in the basement of whatever massive building, corporate structure they're in, with a very low budget and doing it more for the passion than to sell as much ad ad time as possible. People, you know, who made up with their lack of production values with actual passion and, and care and a love of the art. And I think that was sort of the the authenticity that is so hard to find these days, especially mm-hmm. in television. And I think that's what a lot of people saw and recognized because these were very, I would say, idiosyncratic 
especially Adult Swim, in terms of like trying to be appealing to a wide audience or whatever. They're like, we're we're doing this and that's it. In the modern sense, because I noticed that recently there's both like Adult Swim TikTok trends, but also like Adult Swim themselves on YouTube have in the past few years been posting like Toonami or lo-fi mixes, like sort of aware of their own influence mm-hmm. and and creating content around it. Have you looked at any of that stuff? Is it pretty good authentic or is it just kind of capital subsuming a trend? They've actually put out albums or like sort of like playlists, like mixes or remixes uh, mm-hmm. before. And I've definitely checked out like their Spotify mixes because they have done Toonami and Adult Swim. Like, hey, here's all the music from like our bumps from like this year to this year. All the music that they could get from this year to this year kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I've not looked at the Adult Swim YouTube playlist. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine they'd probably be kind of similar to some of their Spotify stuff. Mm-hmm. And that really just feels like, hey, we've we've managed to track down a bunch of this music that we have been using or used. And and here it is, because we know people really like that. Like, I think I'm trying to remember if I know they do it now where they would actually put like who the music was hmm. at like the bottom of certain bumps and that they would I think they would give credits at like the end of the broadcast night. There's two mega they call them mega mixes. There's the 2004 Black Hole Mega Mix, which features mm-hmm. a lot of songs from their promos and, and interstitials. Um along with like sound bites and stuff like that from Toonami and, and bits of Adult Swim at the time. And they're all remixed by DJ Clark Nova, who is Jason DeMarco. Once again, <laughs> he's going to keep popping up whenever the music of Toonami Adult Swim comes up. Yeah. He basically just remixed all of that together. And they, <clears throat> I think they just released that like online for Toonami fans. And then when they brought Toonami back in 2012, they did another one called Supernova Mega Mix which actually features not a lot of original music, but like the instrumentals for like some of LP's albums. They did a remix of a Calm Trues song on there, along with like audio of Steve Bloom and Peter Cullen uh, doing like promos and recordings for the Toonami block. Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, would do like (laughs) a lot of the ads voice work, while Steve Bloom would do all that stuff that Tom would say. Those are definitely like they're a lot of fun to listen to. The Supernova mix is a lot of fun. It's definitely a really good listen, but it's also it's much more recent. It kind of comes after I had sort of fallen off of Tsunami mainly because Tsunami had been canceled, and also I was an adult at that point and had <laughs> real life things to do, <laughs> especially like researching for this episode and stuff like that. I've listened to both of those mega mixes a couple of times, and they're they're really good listens. I definitely recommend them. I've also checked out the Toonami Music, M-U-Z-I-K, playlist on Spotify, which was put out by Adult Swim a few years ago. And that's also a really good listen. Has has quite a bit of Tommy Guerrero's like, solo stuff. It kind of falls into that sort of more lo-fi hip-hop sound in a way. Mm-hmm. But you also get some of the stuff from like LP and, and some of the stuff that like William Street helped work on. The only like actual album album they have released as like a physical CD, which I wish I could I could track down at this point. In 2001, they actually released Deep Space Bass, which was an album featuring most of Joe Boyd Vigil's music, like a lot mm-hmm. of his intros and outros for the block. Just as like a regular CD, it's like a mm-hmm. 17, 18 track album. Broken Promises on it. Broken Promises on it. 
<laughs> the song. Yeah, the song. <laughs> you have a couple of like the intros, like the overall like block intros along with the show intros. All of it is like really good, really satisfying music to listen to. And it's all very it makes good it makes good music to study and chill to. <laughs> As advertised. <Yeah>. As advertised. <laughs> So, you know, every now and then some of them get like really kind of up tempo. So you could also exercise to it, I guess. I don't you know whatever you do when you listen to music. <laughs> you know, one one question I've always had, I guess, about television is just in general, not even related mm-hmm. to this, is what percentage of people actually that have the television on are actually watching it as opposed to just having it on as background sound? How does that affect like? The people who did that on growing up and having Toonami on in the background, they listen to this music and the interstitials that sort of affects them or sort of like, you know, 10 years later, you know, whenever uh, lo-fi hip hop appears, they start. Oh, God, it's like that. It something triggers in their mind like, oh, shit, this is great. I'll keep listening to that. But for the rest of us, like. It's just fascinating to me. I'm, I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, <laughs> so the, yeah. the general question being is, is how much were people just consuming it as a stream previously, mm-hmm. just like people leave yeah. YouTube yeah. streams on now and don't really look at them? Yeah. I can remember as a kid, definitely paying attention to, to most of what was being played, I think, as I grew up and, you know, things like smartphones or, you know, having more of a a working life kind of crept in paying attention kind of turned into that sort of that stream background noise kind of thing or you know if i was you know trying to work on something or if it was just like a show that wasn't particularly interesting in like the middle of like the block that you know i would you know probably like zone out or or whatever but mm-hmm. yeah like i i know as a kid i would definitely pay a lot more attention to it and I think that's why a lot of this has kind of stuck with me a lot more, like checking out all of this music now. It's like, I totally remember this. I can't remember like where in like the block or like what show this was like introducing or whatever, but I totally remember hearing the song at some point during like the years of me watching mm-hmm. Tsunami. It's interesting. Cause I have, I earnestly have like no memory of any of this stuff. And like, <laughs> I feel bad. Like I, I feel like I just missed something that I consumed, but wasn't really paying attention to it. I have no idea why. Maybe I am the person that Ross is talking about who just had it on when hanging out with friends or something mm. and didn't really watch it or didn't really pay attention. It was, would have been so long ago. I don't remember. But I, I still really like it. But it does it does feel very different from most other stuff we do on this show where I do have a nostalgic or like emotional connection for my past to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this has been like an interesting, uh, it's not quite the right term, but like a control group. Of to what degree those emotions affect my response to a lot of this music? Uh huh. Because yeah, I do really like it, but I don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of it. Uh, it's very weird. <laughs> it's very weird. I mean, I only remember bits and pieces. Like I would mm-hmm. watch random episodes of the anime on Tsunami, but never enough to like follow a story arc. Like I never became mm-hmm. fans of any of the anime really, except Cowboy Bebop. Like I did watch that, but that was that was pretty much the only one. Like I watched bits of Inuyasha. I watched bits of uh, Dragon Ball Z, Yu Yu Hakusho, uh, or whatever it's called, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was interesting, but I was never like, oh boy, I can't wait for my next episode of Inuyasha. Mm-hmm. Are they ever going to get together? Um, yeah. I don't know. 
I mean, of course, back in the early 2000s, anime was a lot harder to get a hold of to watch at all. Yeah. So it's just kind That's of, the other thing is, is yeah. if I would have watched anything on Toonami, it probably would have been Dragon Ball Z. But also, I had a huge weeb friend in high school who just got import because mm-hmm. they weren't yeah. past the Frieza saga yet on Toonami. And we wanted to watch the Cell tournament. So you got to get serious. Yeah. I think for me and just my particular my particular experience growing up where uh, I was homeschooled for a very large amount of time. Mm. I didn't get a lot of those sort of connections with people who were like in the know, mm. so to speak. Like I, I didn't really have friends who had those connections to getting like your, your VHS copies from like overseas, <laughs> like those fan subs or dubs or anything Some like that. Shitty so. third, third or fourth generation. Rip. Yeah. Rip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the VHS copy recorded off of like somebody's handy cam, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of my, like, anime consumption came through Toonami and, like, Midnight Run and eventually, like, Adult Swim. I'm not quite sure where I was really going with, with that. The but, spirit of the podcast, uh, man. Just keep talking. Yeah. yeah we do here. Just keep- <laughs> I think those kind of really kind of solidified Toonami as this this thing in my brain that is, oh, this is where the anime comes from. and. Mm-hmm. This is where I go to when I want to find a really cool kind of like action show because it was largely like anime and stuff like that. But they would still play stuff like they had Batman Beyond for a bit. They had uh, Justice League. They had Thundercats. So you would get a little bit of a mix of stuff, but it was largely like anime. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I think I think just that and then the music just all kind of planted this little robot shaped seed in my brain that has always been there. (laughs) (laughs) Toonami and Adult Swim both were very much marketed, I guess, or sort of like for people who weren't as interested in in mainstream or more like the standards of television, like not like even for people interested in animation um, in the early 2000s. I mean, there's still Nickelodeon doing that for younger people. And yeah, it'd be interesting to look at what the competition was for Toonami, I guess. It was definitely... For people, it's like, oh, I'm not satisfied with the mainstream. I need to have something to, I don't want to say like the hot topic of cable TV, but uh, adjacent to that. Oh, wait, early 2000s, Nickelodeon had uh, Invader Zim. So um, I guess that was a competition. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And even that's not like, I mean, I loved Invader Zim at the time. Oh, sure. Like that one show definitely wouldn't have been like yeah. the big go-to. Like, I think I, think I remember like MTV2 having like an anime block on like Sundays or something like yeah. that, where they play like heat guy J and a few other things. Yeah. I guess MTV would have been more of the competition. It established a thing like MTV was more edge lordy stuff because it had uh, what the max and, um, mm. Eon flux, you know, the sort mm. of the Daria, yeah, Daria, Beavis <laughs> and butthead. I think those are a little before Toonami, but still, you know, a little before, but they would have been in reruns probably. The big competition I remember on MTV was when they had the season of Clone High. Oh, yeah. But uh, Toonami was always like a bargain basement because they weren't doing original shows on their own. They were just licensing mm-hmm. stuff from Japan um, mm-hmm. or like a couple other Western companies. So I guess they had to go and create this very like this identity of like the the robot, mm-hmm. this sci-fi element, but also with like this this music and also this philosophy, you know, the, these yeah. music videos in order to sort of distinguish itself from like MTV, you know, and uh, uh, Nickelodeon. And like the, the kind of neat thing is they would do like different 
marathons and stuff like that of like, hey, we're going to play like all of the show on like a single weekend. Come check it out. Or, hey, we want you to write us and tell us what you want to see on Toonami. Tell us how we're doing. Mm -hmm. They had pretty early like online adoption where for a while they was like, hey, we're going to like the show is going to be going away. Go onto our website and vote for what you want to see to take this time slot. So I think that that could also play into sort of like helping build its identity where not only are they are they playing on TV, they're also trying to attract you to like their website to kind of come online and they would have certain episodes of shows available online, which, you know, in the early 2000s is kind of incredible because Mm -hmm. (laughs) like your media players and browser and stuff like that are awful. (laughs) So, yeah, so they, they kind of tried to expand all over the place. So you would have television block, then you could go online and watch some other stuff and get interactive and give feedback to the actual like show creators or the the tsunami show creators. And then, you know, they would have albums and stuff like that that you could get granted. It's only like one or two, but it's definitely out there. I think just kind of all of that helped keep it relevant to a degree. Mm hmm. The appeal for Tanami for me was it was it was uh, non-judgmental. It was just like, hey, just come out, chill, watch some cool Dragon mm-hmm. Ball dudes punching each other or whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it didn't it didn't have uh, the the airs that I guess that Nickelodeon or MTV had. It was accepting <laughs> of everybody, and uh, the music was uh, was very much about like, hey, let's chill out, relax, or let's get hype for anime. You either want to like relax and watch this cool show or get mm. pumped up to watch some dudes punch each other, <laughs> <laughs> throw laser beams at each other and stuff. And see, and now we've all gotten older and we just chill and study. No more punching. Yep. No more no punching. punching. No punching. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's a shame. But yeah, I, I think that that's about all we could say about this. Be sure to check out the links in our show notes because we have... Quite a few for this episode. Mm. I, I may have gone overboard. You're not. No, it was beautiful. Impossible. It's perfect. Thank you so much, Noah. Do you want to plug anything? Sure. So, hey, I'm Noah. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Kamenotaku. That's K-A-M-A-N-O-T-A-K-U. You can come check out my podcast, Thinking Too Hard About Anime, that I do with my friend Aaron J. Shelton, where we uh, 
we talk about anime and all the things that sort of influence and the things that it draws from. We did an entire season on Cowboy Bebop episode by episode, and now we are working on the life and works of Hideaki Anno minus Evangelion, because Evangelion is its own big mm. old <laughs> it's its own big old thing that I think deserves its own season of the show. But we're we're doing a bunch of other stuff. So we talked about his early works with Daikon. We talked about his work with Nausicaa and Studio Ghibli. And we should have an episode coming out soon to talk about the beginning of Gainax and the first uh, series he directed, Gunbuster. So keep an eye out for that. And then I also do Twitch streams, typically every Monday and Wednesday, though it's kind of up in the air depending on my day job. So come check that out. That's twitch.tv slash Otaku. Yeah, and thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, thank yeah. you. And I'll, I'll add for your podcast that it's really good. And I think if people listening like this, because it's just like a really earnest deep dive into something that the two people talking about it really, really legitimately love, they'll definitely love thinking too hard about anime. Because it's the same, it's the same thing in some mm-hmm. sense, right? It's just a very sincere discussion of something, and it's yes. really interesting. Oh, yes. me, me and Aaron really dive into it, and I'm especially excited for people to hear the Gunbuster episode because I absolutely mm. love that show, and I think it's one that not enough people have seen, but also I kind of totally understand people not having seen it. Sure. Uh, Are you going to do Shin Godzilla? Or just anime. Shin Godzilla is is on our list. That's gonna probably be mm. one of the last things. We're hoping to end the season with Shin Ultraman. Yeah. You know, yeah. That actually comes out, but fingers yeah, crossed. Shin Godzilla is is on the list. Excellent. Yeah. So next episode, it's back to just me and Ross, which means we'll have to do all the talking again. Unfortunately. <laughs> uh, now we just have guests all the time. It's so much easier. well only if they're as well prepared and otherwise excellent as noah is hey if y'all want to do an episode all about adult swim i'm sure there's plenty more we could dive into oh yeah no doubt i have no doubt that's more than one episode let's be honest oh yeah for sure for sure but next episode we're gonna be getting back into dungeon synth i think it's been a while since we've really talked about dungeon synth too earnestly i could be wrong Mm -hmm. i don't know I think we've only done two episodes on Dungeon Synth overall, so mm-hmm. yeah, maybe three. <laughs> it's hard to say. Who can who can know? It's hard to say. Truth is slippery. But there will definitely be however many we have plus one next time, because we're going to dig up some Dungeon Synth albums and talk about them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can also find additional episodes from us on our Patreon. That's Nightclerk Radio at patreon.com. We so far have three bonus episodes on genres. Uh, this month's episode is going to be the philosophy of aesthetics and why we say the aesthetic when we talk about Vaporwave. So again, radio at patreon.com. You can also yell at us on Twitter, radio on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Ross is at Ross Payton. I am at Burke McBurkinson. We're also websites, Instagrams, Facebook, YouTube. So wherever you do choose to listen to us, all we ask is that you rate, review, and interact with it because that's all the algorithm cares about. You don't even have to like it. You just have to click the little <laughs> thumbs up on YouTube or click the little five stars on Apple Podcast. It's good for us. And just let us know. <laughs> that's the main thing that's we do. That's even is better. Some, that's yeah. even better. Let us know. <laughs> that being said, thanks again so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Stay cool. Thank <laughs> you.